This is the Steelers Preview Show presented by Unibet on WDVE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Brazuda and Matt Williamson. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Steelers Preview. I'm Mike Persuda along with Matt Williamson. We're going to be with you tonight until 8 o'clock right here on the Steelers flagship 102.5 DVE and SNR. And yes, we will be joined by the third member of our team, Merrill Hodge, for segment number two tonight, as we always are. And Merrill uh, has some crowing to do, some uh, chest beating <laughs> to do, because he's the guy, Matt, who was telling us last Thursday, yeah, the Steelers can stop the Browns running game. I think when uh, you and I spent uh, our portions talking about the upcoming game in Cleveland, uh, by the time we were finished with the program, I think we walked out of here thinking, you know, they're really not going to block Miles Garrett. And <laughs> no, I didn't feel so good about it. They're no. really not going to stop Cleveland's running game, and they're really not going to win. And lo and behold, check, check, and check. Yeah, without question. I mean, a very impressive performance especially by the run defense. And I'm excited to talk to Merrill about that as well. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that they didn't respect the outside passing game in particular. Um, they have some receiver issues, the old, the, all the old Odell Beckham stuff that's come out since then. And Mayfield isn't playing well and was hurt. And they really dedicated themselves to shutting down that run game, which I thought even if they did, Cleveland would have more success on the ground, you know, with Chubb coming back. Um, it sure sounds like you folks that go to practice every day, Gap integrity was brought up time and time again. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yep. And hopefully that carries over this week because Chicago's going to run the ball a lot. Yeah, a lot of uh, discussion in the uh, immediate aftermath at Cleveland about intangible stuff. Uh, oh, the Steelers showed a lot of heart. They showed a lot of character. Mm -hmm. They showed a lot of resiliency. And then T.J. Watt got up there. You know, he's from Wisconsin. They're not too intangible. They're very tangible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he said, we played assignment football. Yeah, and right, I, right. I think that's what won it. Uh, I think that's what won it. And right. If there was an intangible, it was toughness, physicality. Discipline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Refusing those type of things. Refusing to right. be denied. The great job all around by it the was. Steelers. Not uh, a work of art. If Bill Cowher was the head coach, he'd say it was no Mozart. <laughs> but it was a 15-10 to 10 W, and I think it's changed – the season. Another thing that we were kicking around last week was there's a fork in the road. They're either going to take that contender's path, right, or they're going to take that lane that says, you know, it's just not happening this year. We're probably going to play out the string, not getting where we want to go. And I think they uh, are decidedly on the path they wanted to take. Yeah, I mean, just think if they didn't win that game, no matter how it went, if it's a Mozart or not, you know, the tone for this week would be drastically different. You know, it'd be Great, they got the Bears and Lions coming up, but they can't go anywhere. They're a losing team. They can't beat the Browns. Well, you know, then it gets can't win in their own that. division. Right, right. It's not their year. You know, draft picks, things like that. You bring up, but now all of a sudden, you look at it and say, well, they should handle Chicago and Detroit. I don't think I'm going out on a limb there to say that they're clearly the better team there. And then all of a sudden, you're really sitting in a good spot, and you look around the conference, let alone the division, but the conference. I did an AFC power ranks on my podcast the other day. I put the Bills one, and then from like two to ten, I didn't know what to do. You know, I mean, I, it's I a jumbled you. mess, and the Steelers are in it as much as anyone. Between injuries and uh, Derrick Henry gets hurt, drama, and, yeah, right, you're right, in Cleveland, and what I don't know what's going on in Kansas City, but right, right, uh, that's gone on long enough that it might keep going on for a while. I keep waiting for the Chiefs to just flip that switch and. You think announced their presence with authority, and they refused to do it. Absolutely. I mean, 
unfortunately, it's a tragedy, but there's big news in Vegas with the Raiders as well. You know, the Chargers get beat, go to a bye, get beat. You know, where are they at right now? The Browns are struggling since he loses to the Jets. <laughs> you know, what's going on? Unbelievable. Let's uh, start where we always do by uh, taking a look at today's uh, injury report for the Bears. Uh, number three quarterback Nick Foles didn't work today, non-injury slash personal. Uh, backup tight end J.P. Holtz, concussion. Didn't work. Also, uh, one of the starting safeties, Eddie Jackson, hamstring. Linebacker Khalil Mack, foot. I guess I could have started and ended there. Mack yeah, didn't, story, yeah. Mack didn't play last Sunday against San Francisco. Not off to a good start this week. Linebacker Alec Ogletree, ankle, didn't practice. And running back Damian Williams, he started last Sunday. Didn't last very long, one mm. or two carries. Uh, knee, he has been uh, trying to fill in for... David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen. Uh, the Bears were down to sixth-round pick out of Virginia Tech. To Herbert, yeah. Khalil I Herbert. like Herbert. And uh, they even had uh, another guy get some, get a couple carries, uh, a guy named Nall. Yeah. Who was uh, <laughs> a new one on me. But uh, that is a banged-up Chicago team. It as really well, is. As well as I think we both agree, not a very good Chicago team. For the Steelers, nothing but good news, relatively speaking. Ben Roethlisberger, peck hip, limited. Kicker Chris Boswell still in the concussion protocol. He's listed as limited. But he, he did the, the first step at least. Right, so that's promising. And they, and have, they have Josh Lambeau if he can't kick. Right, 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 right. If this comes down to losing to the Bears by a field goal, there's a lot more to talk about than Chris Boswell. Probably, probably. Uh, B.J. Finney back limited. Cam Hayward ankle limited. And Eric Ebron hamstring did not work today. Uh, a lot to talk about uh, regarding that Cleveland game. We've just kind of... Scratch the surface, but before we go there, Matt, I wanted to get your impressions of the Steelers today versus the Steelers team that came out of Cleveland uh, still with Melvin Ingram the third on the roster. Mm, okay, disgruntled guy uh, thinks he should be playing more. Didn't want to be number three behind Watt and Highsmith. Uh, the Steelers uh, acquiesced and uh, granted his uh, wishes to get out of town. They get a six-round pick in return, but. Uh, all of a sudden, I really don't like the depth at outside linebacker. And uh, it occurs to me that uh, you and I and Dale Lawley and pretty much anybody else who talked about the Steelers beginning in the spring talked about the critical need to get a third outside linebacker yeah. to spell Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt, let alone take over if one of those guys gets hurt. How much worse did they get? Yeah, uh, there's a lot to unpeel there because, first of all, if he's taking energy out of the room as a Steeler as opposed to adding energy – he, he needs to go. If he's a negative factor, the personality, the situation, I don't know if he's a good guy, bad guy, whatever. But if he's disgruntled and he's bringing those down around him, I get it. He has to go. Apparently, that's the situation. I can't believe, though, that whenever they sat, sat down to sign a contract, it didn't at least come up that, hey, you're an older guy. We want to use you in a rotation. We don't see you as a starter with the two guys we have here. You're going to play a fair amount. They take themselves out of games. You know, we might get packages with the three of you out there. And with the exception of this last game, that's basically exactly what happened. I mean, he played a lot of snaps while those guys were out. It's not like he's a, a total afterthought. I do think his play dropped a little from the beginning of the season to lately. He has not been as impactful, and maybe playing fewer snaps would make him more impactful. But the fact is, he's gone, and I don't trust what's behind him. And I think you were with me when they signed Ingram. I'm like, this is a great pickup, you know, and I don't know the personality. I don't know the man, but uh, now there's a hole there again. 
Yeah, they never uh, publicly talked about what his role was going to be. No, right. Uh, when we talked with Melvin Ingram early in training camp, uh, I asked him specifically, what's your role? And, and he said, Mike Tomlin told me, just do what I do. Be me. Mm-hmm. Um, you okay. know, I'm with you, though. This had to be spelled out. You don't have a tandem the caliber of Watt and Highsmith sure. and then sign a guy who's in his early 30s coming off a knee injury March season in which he had zero sacks and played half the games. Yeah. And, and was on the open market for a long time. For a long time. Way, and right. think this guy can start. Right. I know he has a track record. He's a former first-round pick. He's been to Pro Bowls, et cetera, and he's a good player. But I can't imagine that the whole crux of it was, I'm so much better than that Highsmith guy. I need to see the field. I mean, I, it doesn't add up to me, to be very honest with you. And that leaves us with Taco Charlton, who we'll see. And, you know, I, I didn't love him coming out of school. I thought he was more of a 4-3 base end traditionally, but they don't drop their guys as much as they used to at outside linebacker. Well, at least he gets a shot, but it's a hole. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Ingram's on a contract one-year deal, so he's trying to reestablish himself and remarket himself for the league. But I think he can do that, can you not? You've been in personnel rooms. Mm -hmm. It's not the number of snaps or the number of stats. It's what you do when you're out there, right? I mean, if if he put good tape out there, and I thought early in the year, I'm with you that the play dropped off a little bit. A little, yeah. Boy, he was awful disruptive for a guy that only had, I think, one sack and and not a ton of tackles. He really seemed to be adding a lot to that defense. He's a good run player. He could line up in both sides or up the middle. Um, he can drop in coverage. It's not a specialty or any of their specialties or why you sign them. But I thought he brought a lot to the table. I mean, you guys that were, were at camp thought he was very impressive. You yeah, know, yeah, he was very good. Highsmith yeah. was better, though. Yeah, Highsmith was better. You know, the, it was a, a wealth of riches. And hopefully it doesn't come back to bite him. I'm not saying it's a bad move because I'm not in that building. I mean, if he had to go, he had to go. Um, unfortunately, there wasn't, you know, a – a, a player swap at the trade deadline, or he didn't bring anything in. So what are we to make of Taco? You mentioned he's a uh, former first-round pick, actually drafted two spots ahead of T.J. Watt in 2017, and all of a sudden he lands on the Pittsburgh Steelers practice squad a while back, and they become his fourth team yeah. in five NFL seasons. A, a first-round pick who only lasted two seasons with the team that drafted him, the Dallas, Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, went to Miami, went to Kansas City, and the Chiefs decided. The Chiefs, right, right. Who just decided room that are looking for guys. You're not anyway. good enough to play defense for us. Right, right. I think those are all massive red flags. I mean, I, I mentioned him just watching him at Michigan and as a prospect, and I, I didn't think he was a super twitched up, explosive type guy. Um, kind of a build up, speed, power player. But he has size. He has measurables. Again, reach. I think he's yeah, reach. You know, length. length. Yeah, big hands. You know, um, I, I think he's more of a four-three base end if you look at it from a traditional standpoint. But they're mostly in a four-man front. And again, he doesn't drop that much. But he's not a great bender. He's not ex- super explosive off the snap. Uh, one thing I've really noticed when they scout their outside linebackers um, in the draft, almost all of them have really good get-offs. I mean, they're all like. Coming out of their track stance, uh, that's not what I see from him. But sometimes he's, um, to be very honest, I mean, taking a chance that costs you nothing, a super low-risk move for former first-round picks is good business in this league, in my opinion. I mean, it's not much different than going to get Haskins for nothing. You know, it doesn't hurt you. Um, I just wish he was the four and not the three.
Yeah, it doesn't hurt you in terms of cost, but the, right. that depth. And, hey, maybe Watt and Highsmith stay healthy, uh, and it's not as big a deal as uh, I might be making it out to be. But uh, when we talked to Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator today, uh, he was asked if he trusts Taco Charlton and Derek Tuska, the other mm-hmm. guy that's in the mix at outside linebacker. Well, Tuska was, what, a sixth-round pick in Denver last year or something yeah, like I that? I think so. It's amazing now. I think about all the guys they've gone through at the yeah. outside linebacker positions from, like, Chickalow the last couple of weeks, years, you know? And Butler's response was, I uh, got no choice. They got to play because you can't you play got, Watt yeah. and Highsmith the entirety of the time. No. I mean, as much can't. as I love TJ, and this isn't even a, uh, knocking on him at all, but – he willingly takes himself out of games several times all the time to stay as fresh as possible. Both of them have had an injury already. Um, Highsmith's never played a 17-game season, hopefully more. You know, it's just you need depth. And it would be ideal to have a third guy come in for 20, 30 snaps a game even just as a rotation, keep your fresh guy that's been around the league. Um, I'm sure they're – Eyes are open to free agents or if anyone gets cut, but I don't know any names off the top of my head. Yeah, they had uh, a guy they liked in training camp, uh, Jameer Jones. He ended up getting scooped mm-hmm. up by the Rams when they were doing some roster shuffling uh, with, with some concerns other positions. There have been a lot of guys coming through what's become a revolving door at backup outside linebacker yeah. for the Steelers. Haven't solidified that in the last couple of years, but it might not be a problem. Uh, let's jump uh, back to that Cleveland game now okay. because uh, that run defense in particular, I think you can, if you're willing to, you can survive a great pass rusher. You either limit yourself by just putting as many bodies as it takes to stop that guy, okay. or you do what Ben Roethlisberger did and throw the ball quick. Even if it's third and long, mm-hmm. you throw it underneath and, and take your field goal or punt. or You cannot let the Miles Garretts of the world wreck the game if your objective is to not let them wreck the game. That doesn't necessarily improve your chances of winning. Sure. But the Steelers kind of did both. They kind of both. I mean, of course, when you start playing that way, you show you, you throw your cards out on the table and say, we're afraid of him, you know, and we're going to act accordingly. And then the defensive coordinator then adjusts and realizes, well, you're probably not going to beat me 20 yards downfield. So, you know, there's a ripple effect, of course. Um, I don't know about you, but the the fake – Field goal aside, let's just get rid of that right now. My biggest coaching questions of the was leaving more on Garrett as much as they did one on one. I would have liked to seen a little more help there, especially in a couple key situations. I think the uh, the two point conversion from the twelve he blew that yeah, up. Yeah, I mean that was a problem. You know, right? Uh, I think Dan Moore is coming along just fine, but asking him to do that, even if it's a quick game is a really difficult task. Yeah, and there were a lot of times. I mean, it, it, now there was one play, uh, the Malik McDowell sack of Roethlisberger. Uh, Dan Moore pancaked Miles Garrett on that play. Mm. If you go back and watch, he's in the background, but he drives him onto his back and lands on yeah. him. I mean, it was impressive. I, I don't, You don't see that happen to Garrett very often. No, right. You don't see it in the NFL very often, let alone to a superstar. But there were way more instances where Roethlisberger just got the ball off. Mm -hmm. It could have been worse. Could have been way way worse. It could have, wasn't, right? Right, right, absolutely. You have fine line. One point, whatever seconds or whatever, you use every little bit of that. Yeah. uh, I guess what I'm saying here is I, I don't think Dan Moore put up a brick wall and said, oh, I dominated one of the best pass Oh, no, he lost the battle, in my opinion, and got away with it. But it didn't. It but you might it. look back on it and learn a lot from it too. And it, and it <laughs> you know, it, it didn't, didn't wreck it. It didn't wreck it. I mean, that's the best thing I can say about it. But I would have given him a little more help. And I guess where I'm going with that is the the 
willingness and comfort that Roethlisberger showed in that situation. You know, he was not holding the ball too long. He was determined to do what needed to be done given the circumstances. Yeah. And I thought his He's more comfortable now. His handling of the ball, I think, was the the biggest part of that. Yeah. No, no offense to Dan Moore. No, right, right. I mean, almost every left tackle is going to lose that battle more than they're going to win it one-on-one with him, let alone a rookie, let alone a work-in-progress mid-round pick who looks like he has a really promising career. And I know this isn't what we were talking about, but I wouldn't be moving Banner to right and Chooks to left. I was I mean, going to go there, yeah. I, I might put Banner to right and Chooks to the bench, but I'm not touching Dan Moore. You're my left tackle for – the foreseeable future, next couple of years maybe. We'll see. Um, again, I would have helped him a little more. But you're right about Ben. I mean, Ben's not the same. We know that. He's not the Hall of, He's not playing like a Hall of Famer. He's at the end. I mean, these aren't secrets. But there is something to the experience and knowing the speed of the game and when to hold him, when to fold him. Boy, I only have a pulse left to get this thing yeah. out because I know he's coming. You know, and that went to, went to that take day. Najee Harris, who's lined up to your right, and say, you know what? Why don't you go left? Get over here on the left because <laughs> yeah, it's fourth yeah, right, and right. goal, and that guy's coming. That that was uh, that kind of stuff is a great invaluable. orchestration of the situation by Roethlisberger, and it gave him just enough time to get the ball to Pat Fryermuth. And I know these guys are at total opposite ends of their spectrum, but Justin Fields has none of that right now. Yeah, I mean, he, you know what I mean. Like he gets sacked left and right because he's new, and they're not helping him, and he doesn't have much around him, and doesn't know how long things take in this league. So experience is important. So are we to uh, surmise uh, coming out of Sunday that maybe Roethlisberger doesn't have to be in a three-wide shotgun and throw the ball 45 right. times and I think that's and, a losing and hold it half the time? Right. Uh, he looked very functional and very at ease with uh, the way that game played out because they won it. Yeah, I think he's getting something we talk about Merrill with, with all the time is I think he's starting to trust the five guys in front of him more. Um, we had a good Dale and I had a good conversation on the drive on Wednesday with Bob Labriola, and one of the first things Lab said was, "I think this coordinator and uh, quarterback are starting to really get a better feel for one another, you know, and incorporate both of them get a little more give and take there, and understand where they're both at, and that's showing up on the field." And I know people get frustrated and. You know, we we jump to conclusions, but as many young guys as they're playing on offense, to say that this thing's coming around at Halloween or so is pretty good. It, it should be really ahead of the curve, to be very honest with you. Yeah, I think everybody was expecting, you know, gradual at the outset, but you also have to remember. But they don't have any patience with it. They just get, you know. It, but this also isn't the line they envisioned. They envisioned a core four on the left side and Banner on the right side. Now, maybe, maybe it was folly to assume that Banner was going to make it back from major surgery in time to start the season on time and mm-hmm. he ultimately did not but I mean they were they were trying something pretty unconventional and they even had to adjust that before they got started and I think how yeah. bad it was at the outset was a little bit frightening quite frankly because I've started yeah. to wonder all right is there going to be any season left to salvage by the time this starts coming around to the point it even gets respectable yeah I mean even like a guy like Trey Turner who was kind of like the Ingram signing Nice. You picked him up at a nice discount. I like the the cost you paid for him. But I thought, man, they're probably going to need a right guard next year. You know, like early in the season. I think he's really stepped up and looks like the the pro, the the veteran of the group, and is starting to be familiar with the guy on his right, the guy on his left. Do you think Banner 
gets in the game this week? Do you, what, do you have any inclination? Do you, or why change it? Why? Yeah, you know, all I know is Roethlisberger talked at length yesterday about they got some continuity and they finally yeah. played some games together and it's growing together. I don't think they're going to mess with it right now. Continuity for the offensive line is unbelievably key, and maybe that's a good question for Merrill too. Like I'll admit, the second the the inactive report came out and Banner was on it, I went, "Wow, that's odd." I, I didn't. Yeah. I'm not shocked he's not starting, but why is he inactive? Well, I guess because I think they, they like Joe Hay. Hay can play both sides, and Banner can't. Right. And you also have Derek Watt can be that extra blocker, sure, uh, and sure. be an eligible receiver, and you could probably actually catch the ball if you threw it to him. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Good point. Um, yeah. I mean, Banner needs. There's only one guy for to get hurt. For Banner to get his jersey dirty, yeah, or, so, to, or to stink, or to stink, yeah, or to get back, which is probably, which is also possible, not right, un- right, right, unlikely. Uh, <laughs> not I should out of the say question. That, it wouldn't stun anybody if if Okorafor started struggling, but I think right now they're full speed ahead with what they got and see if they can mm-hmm. keep making progress. Uh, speaking of Merrill, we're going to ring him up here uh, momentarily, so uh, keep it here. Uh, we'll bring Merrill in and he'll detail. Uh, the great job that Steelers run defense did for starters with uh, Matt Williamson. I'm Mike Persuda. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show presented by Unibet on DVE. Welcome back to the preview. Mike Persuda and Matt Williamson with you until 8 o'clock tonight right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Time now to welcome the third member of our crew to the program and uh, a guy who last week, Matt, if I'm remembering this right, he said the Steelers can stop the run. I recall that. And then yeah. he told us how they were going to stop the run. And then they went out and stopped the run. So uh, welcome back, Merrill Hodge. Uh, what's the Powerball going to be Saturday night? <laughs> uh, that's a good question, my good brother. <laughs> Might be a little bit of the same, a little bit of the same because the. Uh, the Chicago Bears need their running game just as much as the Cleveland Browns. So uh, they, they're a little different, though. They, they're not. They're probably not quite as good at it, but they need it, you know. So they they, they do try to stay with it um, and do it as as best they can, and they're getting better at it. Um, but if you can neutralize that, you just put them in a bad spot. Um, and I actually like Justin Fields coming out of Ohio State. He's just not a real seasoned guy. Um, that was the only real flaw I thought I had. I saw in him is that he just he doesn't think, see things as clear as you would like them. There's not a lot of things you can do um, in the passing game perspective, uh, perspective, you know, to really widen it. You know, doing run action and half field reads, he'll be outstanding. Now, if you have to go beyond that, right now he is just not equipped to handle that. Merrill. He, they haven't designed a lot of runs for him. This past week, a lot of his running production was on scrambles. I'm not questioning their coaching staff. I mean, it just seems like they're not playing the fields of strengths as much as I would have expected. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'll tell you this. Um, from my perspective, I kind of like that because, listen, you, you're going to take – I don't think he's – he's not Lamar Jackson, so he's not as gifted as that type of runner. So I think all you're asking for is a chance for injury. Um, I like a guy who is mobile early in his career um, so they can they can get away and escape, you know, and, and survive. The problem with that is that if that becomes a crutch – 
that you can never get rid of, mm-hmm. then you got a problem. Like he's like at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson, his biggest problem is he's got to transfer what he's been doing with these legs to his arm one day. And that's not happening. It's not happening to this point. I mean, it's, it's, it's still a problem. I'll use, um, uh, 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 apples to apples. Uh, Zach Wilson in, in New York, he's made a, he's all his real plays he's made. He's made when he scrambled and then thrown the football. Well, now, and let's go back to him in college. He never played well in a dirty pocket. He never played well when there was traffic around him. He always, I mean, you go from Utah games to the Wyoming games, the Washington games, the Hawaii game, the Toledo game, um, close to Carolina game, to his whole career. Anytime somebody could get pressure on him, he didn't function well. Well, that's the NFL. At the end of the day, I mean, we could talk about last week and what Ben did, and we may get to that. How you play in a dirty pocket is really going to be your standard of what type of quarterback you are in the National Football League. Well, now Zach Wilson has found, well, I'm just going to move. Every time things just don't look right, I'm just going to run. Well, if that, was, if that worked in the National Football League, if that was a structured play, shoot, every quarterback, I mean, offense coordinator in football would come up there on two Wednesday and put the off game plan in and go, okay, hey, well, Zach, this week we're going to scramble to the right a lot. <laughs> Uh, next we're going to scramble to the left a lot and we're going to make plays. I mean, that's what you do in the game plan. That's not in the game plan. Now, you like to make those plays. So I, I kind of like that from that perspective. They don't put him in that. So they're not building something that they gotta, uh, they got to eventually take away. Um, now, he, he still makes some plays, you know, when the, the ball's I – mean, when he doesn't see things. Um, and he leaves a lot of plays out there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he does leave a lot of plays there from a passing perspective, and he takes off and runs already. I just think they're trying to eliminate that so he doesn't do it as much, so he learns how to play from the pocket, which I do like that development and what they're doing in him. I I feel that, Merrill. I understand where you're coming from, but uh, I wanted to ask you this. He came off a 103-yard rushing performance in which he had a 22-yard touchdown run that's as spectacular as anything I've seen in a long time. Can he learn how to be a pocket passer month or two no months from now? And right now, just kind of do what's working and, and, and you know, stabilize things in Chicago a little bit and try to win games the way you can. Yeah. Now, if I'm, if I'm remembering things correctly, because I just watched so much stuff, things get cluttered. But by, by, by this time of week, I, I, I can't tell the Bears from the Steelers. I'm like, ah, you know, everybody looks the same. <laughs> I watch Kate. Um, I, I believe that run. I don't think it was a designed run. I think he scrambled out of that, if I remember right. No, it was it, it was, was a keeper right, and he it got cut off by. Well, yeah, uh, okay, then he, then he reversed back left. Right? Yeah, because yeah, the okay. the 49ers blew it up. I guess they sensed it was coming, but uh, he yes. just he just okay. kept retreating and running away from defensive linemen. Yeah, right. And, and you know what? You made it obviously incredible. Uh, no, you're right. That was that was an incredible uh, run by him. Um, <clears throat> Now, is he going to evolve into a, a quarterback? I, here, here's the best example. The best, I think, is the best development I've ever seen from what they're trying to do to Justin Fields to an MVP one day. Steve McNair. If you remember when Steve McNair first came in this league, first he sat for a year. Um, then they came in, they ran the ball, and they did run action. I see Jeff Fisher is a good friend of mine, so I I know the intimate. Um, thought process behind how this whole development went too. Um, and about then is when I was, um, 
I was working at ESPN at the time and we were doing draft stuff. So, you know, watching tape and watching this guy evolve. Okay. Well, he eventually morphed into an MVP, but it was these growth steps. You know, he, he did basically what Justin Fields was doing. They didn't design a lot of runs, maybe a couple here and there, but they didn't design like they do about Lamar Jackson. They didn't do that design. Um, Justin Fields would be a similar development here. And they did the run action, and they kept it like that, you know. And that went for a year or two, you know. And then, then they started to expand it, you know, in the third year. So this is not going to happen in a couple of months. It's a, it's a process, and, and that's where actually I think ownership makes a mistake. That's why the Steelers, to me, are one of the greatest owners in the history of sports because they understand the process from not just a player but a coach. You know, um, when a guy becomes a head coach, I mean, everybody they have hired from Chuck Noll to Bill Cowher to Mike Tomlin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking I'm 100% correct here. None of them had ever been head coaches before. Right. And what the Roonies believed, just because they became a head coach or we anoint them the head coach, doesn't mean they know how to be a head coach. We got to let, we got to groom them. As long as you know, you got the right guy, he's going to make mistakes, but let's work with them. Now think about that. Who works with them? Who thinks like that? So if you use Steve McNair and that history and how they evolved him into the MVP of the National Football League, um, that's why the process is arduous. But if you do it, it can be painstaking. Um, you are caught into a box right now, and you're limited. But that's why I go back to what was important in this game. If you neutralize their running game, shoot, Cleveland did it. I'm trying to think of one, another team that a couple, a couple teams have done that to them. I know, um, I know, um, um, I know that happened to them in that game, and they just completely shut down. You know, when they can't run the football, they they become very limited. So that's why it is it's so important. Now, Clean Browns actually can do more things. Unfortunately, Baker's just not. He's struggling from the pocket, you know, and he's been doing that for the last year or so. But now the Bears are very limited. That's where it was. Cleveland, Cleveland destroyed them in the running game, and it was they. I mean, they had nothing after that. Yeah, they destroyed them in the passing game too. <laughs> well, because of that, because now you're going to ask a kid to do stuff he doesn't do very well. That's why, like, if you shut that down, if they played the, the run like they did last week, and this is not as good a running game as that one too, by the way. So there really should be no excuse for it. You do that, you now put them in a bad spot. You put him in an uncomfortable situation. You put him in areas that he is not familiar with and sees him to play consistently. Might make a play or two. Don't get me wrong. He's good enough to do that. But he ain't going to do it consistently enough. Oh, I think that's 100% true. And it leads to an incredible number of sacks. I know a lot of them were in that Browns game, but – I mean, yeah, for he, a mobile guy, he sure hits the ground a lot. Well, oh. hey, you know what? Let's not, let's not, um, we, we, I, I, thank goodness you just said that because you just sparked a thought. Okay. Their tackles, especially their left tackle, Ooh. not very good. No. I'm, I'm telling you, bro. They got interior to the 49ers, which I wouldn't be surprised at this if the Steelers don't listen. Teams look at what other teams did and a successful thing. 49ers take their best pass rusher and put him over the center, whipping. <laughs> they get a pass, you just whip him and sack um, Justin Fields. I mean, <clears throat> so um, don't be surprised if you you don't see T.J. Watt walk around because he didn't do that before. I mean, that's not foreign to move T.J. Watt around a little bit. And you line him up over the center or a guard, create a matchup. 
you know, this, this league is about creative matchups. Too many times we think of it in a passing perspective, an offense perspective, but defenses do that all the time. Create a matchup that you like. Um, you know, the 49ers did that. I would not be surprised um, if they didn't do that. And if they're not having their way on the edge, I would, I would expect to see that. Would you expect Cam to be over the center more no, than well, he usually is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? I mean, Cam, Cam is having, a, I mean, he's having an incredible year. He really is. I mean, he's done. Shoot, if you had three of those guys, you know, that's how good the Steelers were back in the day, as you guys might remember. You know, they had three Cam Haywards. You know, and you go back and think about when those defenses, that, that was a 3-4. I'm telling you this, I would talk to defensive, offensive coordinator after offensive coordinator in the in the NFL. The first thing they would always bring up to me, oh, yeah, everybody likes Troy Polamalu. They see him in the highlights. They see all those linebackers making tackles. If you can't block the three guys in the trenches, you got no shot. We have to occupy six guys for those guys. <laughs> Who else is to block those other guys? I mean, that's ultimately that, – that is almost – Word for word, what I would hear from coordinators, because like that is we you cannot move those two. You're talking about if Smith you, and you, Hampton and that crew. Yeah, 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 and Hampton and um and Kiesel. Kiesel. Th- those three, th- those three. I mean, they got no credit. Why? why? Because they're occupying six people. <laughs> you no. know, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what that's a, if you're going to play a three four. That's at the end of the day, if you're going to be good at it, that's how that's how come you're good. If your three guys, your three footers do that, they're occupying five to six guys every time we do something. Then your linebackers can be free. They can be violent. They can attack line scrimmage. You can be wild and do all of the, all the instinctive things that Troy Polamalu did. You can do that because of that. Merrill, what did the Steelers do in Cleveland that would be sustainable against Chicago and repeatable consistently in terms of the run <laughs> defense? Yeah, well, with, you know, listen, they did some stuff um, stunt-wise and um, um, scheme-wise to affect how their blocking assignments were. Uh, you remember that fourth and one play? Uh, that was yes. actually one of the – strategically, you know, they stunted to an alignment that actually the Browns had six offensive linemen out there too. They didn't, they didn't have five, they had six. One of those offensive linemen was a tight end by position. And the Steelers like Cam Hayward over him, and they treated the front as a um, – so the center ends up being the guard, and the center is actually the guard from how the defense looked at it. And then they took their linebackers, and they kind of stood them up and moved them around. That makes it hard to account for blocking. And, and actually, they, you know, they did this against the Cincinnati Bengals. They did it later in the game after they got gashed. But I think the mixture of it is very good. Is if you can line up in a in a front, whether it's your under or your over, whatever you're playing, um, your three, your straight three, four look, and we can handle the run. But we actually then the next time you come around, we change it up and we we adjust our front and we stunt at the very last second and we move our linebackers to different positions you're not used to seeing. That, that, that is, I'm just saying from an offensive guy, that's a very hard thing to do. Is identified people when once they've moved. Well, that's why the um, Steelers' offensive line was having so many problems. Teams would start early in the year. They would stunt. They would uh, they'd shift right there just before the snap, and they'd be like, "Oh my gosh, where's my guy?" <laughs> you can see it. And they're like, "Oh my gosh, where's my guy?" And then they miss half of them. So I would think a part of that lining up and just handling it at times. Yes, um, being able to stunt or shift just before the snap. 
different looks that they may not be accustomed to, and then making sure that we all fit our run fits where we need to be. That will that will be a real troublesome um, for the Chicago Bears. And their offensive line is really not a superior offensive line, too. Cleveland's is better. So you do have that going for you, too. You can challenge them, confuse them, and win win matchups against Chicago Bears. I'm just telling you, if you said, listen, which one is the better offensive line? You pick Cleveland over Chicago right now. So oh, they yeah. have those advantages going into this one to really disrupt their run, neutralize that, and then make their, their rookie quarterback beat you. And I have to, I'll, take my, I'll take my chances with that. I like to see those chances with that. Love it. Merrill, the, the year before the Steelers took Devin Bush in the top 10, the Bears took Roquan Smith in the top 10. And he's really impressive to me. I mean, I think he's one of the few real bright spots of that Bears team in his third year. And I remember talking with you about Bush early in the season. You wanted to see more fundamental linebacker traits from him week after week. Are you seeing a, a development? And maybe by year three, does he become a Roquan-type guy? Well, I tell you this, it's inconsistent, and that's yeah. that's the real problem. You can't be consistent. You got to be consistent in it, at this level. And I see times where you know I think one game I really made an emphasis of it. I think he was really good. You know, he was where he was supposed to be. He was in the right position. He was in his right gap. And then since then, actually, he's been very inconsistent. You know, um, uh, and I can't tell you why. I just. Mm-hmm. He's not where he's supposed to be. He tries to run around blocks. Then he gets, you know, exposes the gap he's supposed to be in. He overplays things, overruns things. Um, and that's, you know, you, listen, you're in your, your third year. Um, this is, I guess I'll tell you this. History will tell you. You see the most improvement most of the time. I'm going to say about a 90 percentile, too, by the way, in your second year from your first year. In almost all positions, you know, now quarterback can be a little different. You know, we just talked about how that growth can be three to four year process, like with Stephen there. Um, and that's that's the only thing that's been a little concerning. You know, I think they've they've started to remove him in passing situations because he doesn't play it well. Now, um, I don't think he identifies things like he should, which is part of being a good pass defender from a defensive perspective is identifying you know a formation, route patterns, and all those things. And he's he's not done that well enough consistently for them to trust him. You know that's why they take him off the field. You know, and at the end of the day, we can make I could make an opinion, but the, the tape tells you everything. If a guy was good on third down, why would you why wouldn't you keep him there? True. Yeah. Well, there's a reason that you do take him there. There's a reason you bring him off the field. You're doing the best for your team. He's not the best guy right now. Doesn't mean he won't be one day. He's just not our best guy right now. You put Spillane in there. Spillane's much better in the passing situations. He sees things better, identifies things better, whether it's man or zone. Now, this is not just you know just man man or zone. It's the combination. And he has not done that on a consistent basis enough yet. I think well, clearly for them to trust him because that's why they take most field. Merrill, last thing I got for you, I wanted to get back to that uh, Ben Roethlisberger in the dirty pocket. And uh, Matt and I were talking a little bit before you came on about how impressed we were with him handling a very difficult situation. Uh, You know, the inexperienced line against that Cleveland pass rush and that Cleveland defense. Uh, How well did Roethlisberger do just kind of pulling the strings and making that game turn out the way it did? 
you know, I, you know, I, you, this is one of the reasons I got into the business. Quite honestly, um, from a from this perspective, is to help fans kind of appreciate things they might be missing, you know, um, or let them see the things. And you know, coaching tape gives you that to be able to watch it. And listen, I watch the game on television just like anybody else. And actually, I'm just like everybody else because I make notes and then I go look at tape and I'm like, I'd be, I'd be a buffoon if I made comments based on what I saw on television. Actually, I used to do that in the war room at ESPN for like 25 years. And that's where I got TV lies and highlights really lie. Because once you watch the TV and you watch the highlights, you think you've seen the whole picture. Then you put on tape and you're like, I ain't even close. Like I'm not even in the ballpark with what I thought. So I go back and in my system, I can watch every throw that they have. I can break it down into categories, you know, from, you know, dirty pocket to unclean pocket, you know, was it complete? Was it incomplete? All these different variables. So when you look at the tackles, I remember Tony Romo several times going, Oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, you know, they're not helping. Right. But then he didn't follow up on like every time it was, the ball was gone. Most of the time it was completed too, by the way. And how he just, he tried, he knew that that ball had to come out. And he knew that the ball, uh, and he didn't panic. You know, you didn't see him running. Now, I know he doesn't run like he used to, but how he orchestrated that, and listen, he, is, he ends up taking two sacks. But the play that probably stood out the most in just the savviness and why he's, he'll, he will be a Hall of Famer and why he's still in the top 10% of quarterbacks in this league because the other 90 are going to run or the other 90 are going to be sacked. He got a formation that was obviously given to him that didn't work for the protection. So he moves Najee over to the other side to help chip. Yeah. Well, that ends up being the um, prior mirror use touchdown. If he doesn't do that, it's a sack. If you go back and look at that, it's a sack, but he brings Najee, which speaks to another level, Najee and his ability to block and understand who to block as a rookie. Now I did that. Okay. That's what got me actually probably got me in the league is because I could do those things. I can't even tell you the level that that guy is asked to do from running, catching, and blocking and does at such a ridiculous level to be a rookie is extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. But Ben pulls him over. They talk a little bit. And Najee does exactly what he's supposed to do. Checks inside, works outside, gets the chip. Shoot, Ben pumped down there. I can't tell you how many times you see people pump in the National Football League on a two-yard line. Like zero. <laughs> you don't have time to do that. Technically, you don't have time. Now, he did know he had time because he pulled Najee over there. You know, all he's trying to do is just help his wide receivers, but you don't have time unless you trust it. And he ends up throwing that touchdown. Now, the touch, the catch was ridiculous. Okay, that catch never happens. That throw never happens if he doesn't make the adjustment. If he doesn't bring Najee over, it never happens. That's a great way to put it into context. Merrill, appreciate it. Let's uh, do it again next week when hopefully – we won't be trying to figure out how the hell they lost to the Chicago Bears. Yeah, okay, they take care of the run, and they uh, they keep building on offense. They'll be just fine. Mel Hodge, uh, as he is uh, every week, uh, our guest of honor. Uh, Matt and I still have uh, one more drive to complete. We're going to be here till 8 o'clock tonight, so keep it with us. Uh, for Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Pursuta. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show, presented by Unibet on DVE. Welcome back. Mike Pursuta and Matt Williamson with you till 8 o'clock tonight. Uh, we've got 
got to drive the ball down the field one more time here. And Matt, uh, quick synopsis of the Chicago Bears, the Steelers' upcoming opponent on Monday night. I don't think they're very good. I've seen them play twice. Oh. I'm surprised they're three and five. Defensively, uh, Khalil it's Mack. Very surprising. Khalil <laughs> Mack's obviously an elite player. I think Robert Quinn is outstanding. Yeah. I think uh, Keem Hicks is a pretty good tackle I think uh, Roquan Smith is a developing linebacker other than that I got nothing it's not much I mean Johnson's on, on the defense. second year corner it's okay the safeties are okay um yeah and if Mac is out they don't have much in significantly re- diminished right? right plus I feel bad kind of banging on the defense because they get sacked and turn the ball over so I mean the defense is always in a bad situation yeah. I mean it's a team game but it's an average defense, in my opinion. Now, offensively, I'm going to uh, disagree with our esteemed third member of the team. Uh, I will, If I'm running things in Chicago, I'm going to teach Justin Fields how to be a pocket passer in the offseason. Right now, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be saying, hey, kid, you run better than anybody out here. Run. At, you know, scramble. Call some uh, design runs. Do that little play-action boot that he does where he gets out in the wing and he can either throw it or run, depending on what the defense gives him. That 22-yard touchdown run was like nothing I've seen in a long time. He ran by seven members of the 49ers defense. I, I, I've talked about this a lot on different avenues. You know that I can. It, it sure feels like they are coaching him not to rely on his legs, much like Merrill said. And I understand that big picture, but it doesn't help you win every given Sunday. And frankly, this coaching staff is probably doing it for the next coaching staff. If you can, yeah. you know what I mean? Thanks a lot. You know I mean? You're a big picture thinking is great if you're the Steelers, but if your seat's as hot as it is in Chicago, I don't know that you're doing yourself any favors. Two observations from Greg Olson, the guy who was working the game for Fox, the color analyst. He talked about that very thing. And he said he thought early in the season, uh, Justin Fields was trying to prove he was a passer. Okay. At the expense of running. We don't know what he's coached, but yeah. yes, that, that does look that well, way. Well, it's just Olsen's observation. Okay. And he said, of late, now it looks like Justin Fields has realized, and I quote Olsen, you're your own best check down. Yeah. You know, it's 100% why true. dump it in the flat? Just run it there yourself. You're probably going to go further yeah. than the other guy. Uh, he's immensely talented, and I hope yeah. he's not quite getting it, but it looks like he took a little step forward last week. I think he will be a very good quarterback someday. I just don't think it's going to be today. And I don't think it's going to be Monday. There's so little around him, too. But when he takes off, man, hold your breath. And he is a powerful runner, too. I mean, he is a a specimen. Smooth, quick. He can accelerate, seize the field. He was remarkably accurate at Ohio State. I think that will will come into the NFL level, too. Hopefully that will start about uh, Tuesday for uh, the Steelers State. Perfect. Uh, That's going to do it for us. Uh, Thanks to Merrill for joining us, as he always does. Thanks to Shirtless Tom for keeping us on the air behind the glass. And thank you for finding us, however and wherever you found us. For Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. You've been listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Good night, everyone.